Proverbs 10. We're going to take verses 21 to 32. I don't have much to say tonight, but if I say that, I say a lot. So I'm trying to... But I honestly don't believe it'll be very long tonight, but we're just going to finish contrasting the righteous and the wicked in this chapter. Proverbs 10, let's start in verse 21. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be... No, I'm in the wrong chapter. I just realized that. I was testing you guys. I don't think you guys really listen to me. You guys do. Very good. 10 verse 21, not 11 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of, not, of wisdom. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. It is a sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath wisdom. The fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. As the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the forward tongue shall be uh, cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh forwardness. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for this time together in the word. I pray you bless it. Sanctify this time to us, Lord, that we would grow, be challenged, Lord. Drive us far from the path of foolishness, Lord. Keep us on the path of wisdom and of rightness. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're finishing chapter 10 this evening. We're looking at more contrast between the righteous and the wicked. I've enjoyed this chapter. I enjoy the contrast. The righteous is this, but the wicked is this. Righteousness leads to this. Wickedness leads to this. Or forwardness. It uses different words, but I've enjoyed the contrast of this chapter. Let's start in verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. The lips of the righteous, they give counsel, good counsel, godly counsel. They give support. They give encouragement. They help others. But fools die for want of wisdom. They have no one to give them that counsel. They spend time with those who are foolish like them. And what happens when the fool gets with the fool? He gets foolish advice, foolish counsel. I remember working in the prisons. Those guys listen to each other. And somebody come to me and say, preacher, what do you think of this? I have this situation going on and, and uh, my, my buddy over there told me to do such and such. I'm like, your buddy's a fool. Why would you listen to him? He's always in trouble. He doesn't do right. Well, because we're so close and we've been friends for all these years. I said, you're listening to a fool who can't keep himself out of trouble. How is he going to help you out of your trouble situation when he can't keep himself from being in trouble? Don't go to the fool for advice and wisdom. 
Find somebody who's walking in wisdom. Find somebody who, who gives good counsel and attach yourself to that person. How many people today, young people, teenagers, they listen to their peers, they listen to their friends. That's the wrong place to go. And I'm thankful. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. But one that wasn't a mistake was when I was about 16 years old. I didn't run around with the youth group much. I ran around with the older men of the church. There was wisdom in that. There was safety in that. When I left that church and went to a different church, my pastor, who I've mentioned before, he was an older man. He was 72 at the time. I was 17. That's quite a contrast there between our two ages. But I spent a lot of time with him. A lot of time making visits, a lot of time after school doing stuff around the church with him. We spent a lot of time in, the, in his truck driving around town, hearing his wisdom, hearing him share the word of God. That's what young people need. That's why this, this whole idea of youth ministry is such an unbiblical farce. You don't put fools together and hope to get wisdom, right? Give them a, and then put a captain over them who's usually what, four or five years older than them? I'm going to we're at church and uh, we've got this new youth leader at church and uh, he, he was, what, what do you think, maybe 21, 22? Made a youth night, right, where the youth run the service. And he gets up at the end, he goes, I'm so blessed to see the young people taking, you're at their age. What do you mean the young people? You're just barely out of school. So you take a bunch of fools, put them together, and put another young fool over them to give them advice, and you wonder why their lives are a mess when they get older. They've been hearing foolishness. If you're going to have a youth ministry, find somebody who's 60, 65, 70. Put him over the youth group. Let him teach them some wisdom, some godliness, somebody who's lived the life, somebody who has walked the walk for years, who has tried and tested the Lord. Or better yet, just let the younger men teach the old, the older men teach the younger men, the older ladies teach the older. That's how the Bible prescribes it. We're doing it opposite today, right? We break them up by peer group, by age. Get people who are in your peer group, let them influence you. So you're letting fools influence fools. That's not going to work out good. I don't want an 18, 19, 20-year-old teaching my kids. I want to teach them. And if I'm not the one, if there's somebody else in the church who's teaching them, let it be somebody who's older, who has lived the Christian life, who has walked with Christ, who has demonstrated godly wisdom to speak into their life. But not, not somebody their own age or their own peer group. That's doomed to failure. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. There's actually an example of that in the Bible. 1 Kings 12, verse 1. We're going to read a kind of a lengthy passage, but... I want you to see what happens when fools advise fools. First Kings 12, verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spoke with Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous, now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father. 
and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, and said, How do ye advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people, who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put on us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered and the people roughly the king answered the people roughly, and forsook the old men's counsel they gave him. And spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord that he might perform this saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw, the king hearkened not unto them. The people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your, to your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house. David, so Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Now, I want you to understand, all this that happened in this passage happened because God ordained it to happen. The Bible says that. That doesn't make his sin right. God had told Solomon that because of his unfaithfulness, God would rend the kingdom and divide it, leaving only one nation, one kingdom as his inheritance. This is where we see the breakup of the northern kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. But what we see here is a very interesting scenario. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, they come to him and they said, your father made our yoke light or heavy. Will you make it lighter? And he went to the wise men, the old men, the learned men. He said, what should I do? They said, well, if you make their load a little bit lighter, they'll serve you willingly forever. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. They went to the young man and said, what do you guys think I should do? And they said, you tell them you're going to make their load so much heavier. He said, hmm, I like that. And he forsook the counsel of the wisdom and he went for those who were fools. Those who were his contemporaries, those who grew up with him. He said, you know what? I'm going to do what they told me to do. And he did. And what happened? The kingdom split in two. The kingdom split in two. What split the kingdom of Israel? Listening to fools. Young people need to listen 
to older people. Listen to wisdom. Listen to those who have. I, mean, I, I, I had a pastor one time. He went and preached at a... I should write a book called I Had a Pastor One Time. It's like horror stories of the, of the church. He went and he preached at a church planters conference, though he had never planted a church. I think my wife and I were dating at the time. And I was like, who would listen to somebody who's never done it before tell them how to do it? Who's sitting in that conference going, amen, brother, you tell me, but you've never done it yourself. That's foolishness. Why would you do that? Why would you listen to somebody like that? I'd be like me as a, a young pastor calling up another young pastor saying, what should I do? He doesn't know what I should do. That's why whether he likes it or not, I have Max Grave on speed dial. Because Max Graves has been there for 20 plus years serving the Lord. He's walked the path. I can trust him for advice. I can trust Paul Abbott for, I can call these men and get wisdom. They've walked with the Lord longer than I have. They've served the Lord longer. Why would I call somebody who's brand new and say, advise me on what I should do? That makes no sense. That's a fool leading a fool. You know the problem in Israel in the time of Christ was? They had leaders leading them who didn't know the Bible, right? Even Jesus said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, and they're testifying of me. You don't know your own scriptures. And these men who didn't know the scriptures were teaching the people the scriptures. It's no wonder the people didn't know their own Bible. What do we have today? People teaching the Bible who don't read the Bible. They don't know the Bible. They don't live the Bible, but they're teaching it. What you have is a lot of fools coming out of these churches who are listening to fools teach the Bible. That's the problem. Don't listen to people who have your experience. Listen to people with more experience. I don't mean this to be mean. Reuben's much, much, much more elder than I am. But you know what? I say that because I value Reuben's prayers and Reuben's advice. He's walked with the Lord longer than I have. I'd be wise to listen to men like that. Not call up my friends my age and say, what do you guys think I should do? They're fools too. That's the problem with the youth group. I grew up in youth group. I know. They put us all together, played some games, fed us pizza and Gave us a five-minute talking to you about why we shouldn't kiss our girlfriends, and that was it. That was it. I got all, when I went astray in my life, it's because I got all my advice from people who were 14, 15 years old, who know nothing. Nothing. And I was listening to them. I lost track of where I was. Go back to Proverbs chapter 10. 21, that's what it was. The lips of the righteous feed many. They give wisdom, encouragement, sound advice. But fools die for want of wisdom. It's like bread, food. 
People, you might say someone's starving. People are dying for lack of food. Fools are perishing for lack of wisdom, lack of God's wisdom. There's a real dearth of God's wisdom in the world today. And even when they turn to churches today, a lot of churches, they don't know the word of God. They don't know the gospel. And people are perishing more and more. We went to a church in December, Orange County, and I recommend their, their if you like Christmas programs, it was, it was a good play, good music, it was wonderful, we enjoyed it. But they, they never preached the gospel, it was just a play and some music, beautiful. And then without preaching the gospel, the pastor got up and told everyone in the building to bow your head and close your eyes, and repeat a prayer. Now you sincerely meant that prayer, fill out a card and drop it in the box the way out the door. You've been saved. Fool, people are perishing for lack of the wisdom of God. That man doesn't know the gospel and he's trying to lead other people to the gospel he doesn't know. That's foolishness. I was talking to Max about uh, some Bible colleges we know that are, we, we both admit, are largely run by unsaved men. These pastors aren't saved. They're good businessmen. Any of these pastors who built these Bible colleges we were talking about, any of them could have done the exact same thing with any public corporation. They're good businessmen and organizers, not pastors. And a lot of the people teaching the colleges aren't saved. They're Nominal if they are, but most of them aren't saved. They're lost. And they're teaching the next generation of pastors. Is any wonder these pastors are coming out like they are and doing what they're doing? There's a, a famine of the wisdom and knowledge of God today. And it's so sad. We went out and preached and passed out tracts of the parade. You know how many people who live in the South Bay were there who have never heard, and I mean the true gospel message, repentance and faith. They've heard some other gospel message, but right here in our community, there are people who have never heard the message of repent and believe the gospel. Their churches don't preach that. They don't mention that. They've been taught baptism. They've been taught church membership. They've been taught the sinner's prayer, but they've never been taught to repent. They exist right among us. So we think of America as this Christian nation and so saturated with the gospel. Most of what it's saturated with is a false gospel because fools for years were leading and teaching the Bible wrongly. Close your ears to the fool. Listen to godly wisdom. Look for it. Seek it out. If you don't have someone who can advise you in a godly way, seek out godly wisdom. Verse 22. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow unto it, or no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, not hard work, not ingenuity, not corporate ladder-climbing savvy, 
The Lord makes rich. Promotion comes from the Lord. The Lord provides our needs, church. Not ourselves. Not our own abilities. Say, well, I am... I'm well off because I'm good at what I do. No, you're well off because God has blessed you with the ability to do what you do. Never look within, look to God as the one who has given you what you have. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. You can work hard and all your labor be in vain. You know that, right? Turn quickly over to Psalm 127.1. Psalm 127.1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. We need to recognize that everything we have comes from God, not from us. If we do this, that next part of the verse in Proverbs applies to us. He adds no sorrow with it. We'll not fear losing our wealth. Or our position, if we see it merely as a gift of God. They're blessings from God and nothing we deserved. When we have that perspective on life, we don't fear losing everything, do we? We don't fear it. We're quick to share what we have. I thought it was crash and give us more money to fix things. All right. We're good. I thought it was an airplane at first, and then that prayer answered. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You know, I've seen large families that are not built around the word of God. And they're grown up now. They have chaos among a lot of people. They didn't didn't look to the Lord for how they raised their family. Churches, some of these churches I was talking about, these Large churches, four or 5,000 people, Bible colleges with hundreds of students. But they didn't use biblical principles. They used worldly principles. The pastors, most of them, I would say, probably are not even saved. When they stand before Christ, Christ didn't build that house. They built it in vain. They labored in vain. It was vanity, like Solomon says. It's all vanity. So the Lord keeps the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. Don't say, oh man, we're safe, our city is safe. We hired a really good watchman. Even with a really good watchman, the city can be taken. The Lord keeps the city. The Lord builds the house. The Lord does the work. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar was turned out into the field? What was the last thing he did before that happened? He walked out and said, look at this great Babylon that I have built. (laughs) Me, I did this. Thank you. All praise to me. That's what he did. He didn't give the glory to God as he ought to give. Go back to Proverbs chapter 10. Be thankful for what you have, church, and realize that God gave it to you. It wasn't our own talent, our own ability. God 
He blessed us. The problem we don't want to realize that or recognize that is because we want to hoard it for ourselves, don't we? But if God gave it to us, we're to share it with other people, right? Not just money. I'm talking about anything. Your house. We're called to show hospitality. Your car. Somebody needs a ride. That's not your car. God gave you that car. You need to give them a ride. You need to help people out. Your time. That's the Lord's. Give it freely. Your attention, your prayers. You have something you don't need and somebody else needs it, give it to them. It's not yours, it's God's. When we release ownership of everything in our life and realize that it all belongs to God, it's very freeing, isn't it? But be careful because somebody may demand that at some point and we don't have the right to hold it back and say, nope, that's mine, can't do that. Can't do that, can't share that, can't give that. No, no, it's all God's. It's all God's. We're just stewards of it. Be good stewards of what God has given you. Verse 23. It is a sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath wisdom. It's fun, it's entertainment for a fool to do wrong. They delight in it. Have you ever met people that way before? I have. I was that way before. Remember, as a young person, probably 12, 13 years old, I was trying to be the, the cool, one of the cool kids. It never worked. I've always been a dork, so it never, like I've tried, it never worked. But I remember trying to impress other kids in our school chapel by acting up, throwing things, harassing people getting their attention off the stupid, boring message our principal was giving us. and Didn't sing, because that's stupid. I'm not going to sing. I'm just going to... I, I thought it was fun. It, it actually grows. When you do wrong, it actually kind of grows on you. First, I did it to impress people. It became fun. I had a good time doing wrong, doing wickedness. I look back now at that time, what, what, what was my problem? I was a fool. I found sport in mischief. I found fun in mischief. There are people today who, they do it for fun. Why do people tag on the side of the road? They're not supposed to. That's why. They're not supposed to. They find joy in doing that which they're not supposed to do. They find sport in it. As a contrast, a man of understanding hath wisdom. To get a clearer picture of what's being said here, I'm going to word it a little bit differently. I'm going to say that wisdom is the same way to a man of understanding. That's, that's what Solomon's trying to get across there. It's sport, it's fun for a fool to do mischief. But for a person of understanding, wisdom is the same way. Wisdom is fun. God's ways are fun. Obedience is fun. Service to God is enjoyable. I'm the other way now. I, I, I enjoy serving the Lord. Where once I enjoyed doing that which was wrong. Have you noticed that in your own life? There's a contrast there. The fools delight in their mischief. You walk to these places and preach the gospel, they're going to wave their wickedness right in your face. It's sport to them. It's fun. You guys probably, you probably don't know John Barrows, but he's a faithful man. He 
He's from uh, St. Andrew's Church in Orlando. He's uh, the church that R.C. Sproul pastored. And he ministers to the abortion clinic every day, six days a week. He's out there. He's seen a lot of people rescue their babies from abortion over the years. He's there seven, eight hours a day. He had so many women that turned from abortion, most, many of them got saved, that his church actually bought him a van to bring them to church in, right? He's so faithful out there. And those pro-abortion women come out there and they put on butterfly wings and rainbow uh, uh, umbrellas and they dance in front of them and they, they make sport of doing wickedness. They make sport of child sacrifice. They have a good time promoting evil. That's how we should be about doing right. We should have a good time with it. It shouldn't be burdensome. You realize it shouldn't be burdensome to be in church, right? It shouldn't be. I look forward to it. Always have. Always have. It shouldn't be burdensome to read our Bibles or pray or serve others. We should find joy in those things like the wicked find joy in their wickedness. Verse 24, the fear of the wicked that will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. The fear of the wicked. This truth is powerful and captivating. The wicked go on in sin for fun, that's what the last verse says, but there's still that fear of retribution. That which they fear will come upon them. Let me give you a good example. Turn to John eleven forty eight. John eleven forty eight. John eleven forty eight. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, He know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man, one man should die for the people, and that the, whole, then that the whole nation perish not. Now, of course, God was speaking through Caiaphas to prophesy Jesus' death. Let me set the scene here. John 11 is uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This annoying man, Jesus, had been getting under their skin for a while and healing the sick and teaching the people. And now he's done the worst thing yet. He publicly raised Lazarus from the dead. Publicly. Remember other times he raised the dead, they were kind of put out in a room by themselves. But this is public. People gathered to watch. And he was dead for four days. He was starting to Rot. They knew he was dead. And as people and crowds gathered, and he commanded Lazarus to come forth, and the moment Lazarus came forth, the, 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 the Pharisees said to themselves, that's it, that's the last straw. We can't let this happen. He's obviously the Messiah. The people are obviously going to follow him. And what's going to happen to us? The Romans will come, and they will take away our nation. That's what they do. They killed him. And what happened then? God sent the armies of Rome to destroy Jerusalem anyways. You understand that, right? 
It was prophesied in the scripture, the destruction of Jerusalem was because they crucified the Messiah. That was the result. How often, or Jesus lamented, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Therefore, or because of this, your house is left to you desolate. It's going to be desolated. It's going to be destroyed. These wicked men were so afraid that they let Jesus alone, the Romans would come and destroy them. So they wickedly killed Jesus. And what happens? They brought their greatest fear upon themselves. The Romans did come and destroy the city because of the wickedness that they did. Self-fulfilling prophecy. They made it to happen. Go back to Proverbs chapter 10. Judgment is coming on the wicked. It'll be swift and severe on the day of judgment. He says the desire of the righteous will be granted. Of course, his desires to know God and become more like him. Verse 25, as the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. As quick and as powerful as a storm comes, so will be the destruction of the wicked. You ever seen that? My, my son and I like to sit and watch tornado videos, don't we? Watching tornadoes just drop down and destroy a house. Drop down to the power of the storm. It just suddenly comes out of nowhere and destroys an entire neighborhood and lifts back up again and it's gone. That's going to be the destruction of the wicked one day. Quick, powerful, unrelenting. The lake of fire. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. That's coming to the wicked. They can mock God for a certain amount of time, but at some point, the judgment of God, like a whirlwind, will come upon like a powerful storm. It will wipe them out. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Suddenly be destroyed. Sudden destruction. Isaiah 17.13, The nation shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee far off and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. Judgment is coming swiftly to the wicked. It's coming. There's no escape except in Christ. That's the only hope for the sinner. That's the only shelter from the storm is Christ alone. By contrast, the righteous are built on an everlasting foundation, Christ himself is the cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, also Ephesians 2.20. The, the apostles and prophets gave us what? The word of God, didn't they? They gave us the word of God. Our foundation is on the eternal and unchanging word of God. I like where we stand in society today. We stand on an unchanging, unshakable foundation that has lasted from eternity past. The word of God. It's settled in heaven. It's firm. It's unchanging. It's unchangeable. The wicked are built upon the shifting sands of false religion, humanistic philosophy, and human depravity. 
They'll not stand in the judgment, will they? Our society today is trying to build a house built on secularism. But secularism changes and shifts with the times. It doesn't have a firm foundation. I don't want to quote, I don't I had a quote, I don't want to quote it wrong, but this can't go on forever. Eventually it's going to collapse. It's a house of cards. But the Christian is built on the sure foundation of the Word of God, true and unchangeable throughout all the ages. What was sin a thousand years ago is sin today. Christ was salvation a thousand years ago. He's salvation today. His people are safe in him today. They're safe in him for eternity. What a wonderful truth. We are on the foundation that cannot be shaken, cannot be moved, cannot be changed. Even those churches, the, have all these liberal churches with their rainbow flags. So what about them? They're changing. They're not built on the word of God. They're building upon the shifting sands of secularism. That's what they're doing. Not the word of God. Verse 26, as vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. Vinegar sets the teeth on edge and smoke brings tears to the eyes. So was a sluggard to one he works for. He's basically, it's basically the gist of it. A lazy person brings annoyance and sorrow to the one he works for. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. We have covered this before. Generally speaking, righteous living extends your life. So many lives are cut short by sin, aren't they? By murder, alcohol, drugs, diseases. The list goes on. So many ways sin can shorten our life. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. You want to live a long life, generally? Follow Christ. Walk in his laws. Walk in the path of wisdom. There's a, a group, it's a club you don't want to join. It's called the 27 Club. I think I mentioned it before. That's all the famous people who died at 27. People like Janis Joplin from a heroin overdose. Just famous people. A lot of people actually have died at 27. But you know what I noticed when I watched the video of the 27 Club? I, I didn't see any Christians in there. I didn't see any Christians, any testimonies. Well, they were living for Christ. They were doing what was right. They were all heroin addicts, cocaine addicts, drunks, sleeping around, getting AIDS, dying. You know, I noticed a pattern in the 27 Club? Sinners living in their depravity, living in their sin, flaunting their sin. Nobody walking the path of righteousness. Righteousness prolongeth our days. Wickedness shortens them. Verse 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The hope of the righteous is gladness. It's a good hope. It's a sure hope. What's our hope, church? Christ himself. To possess Christ is our hope. That's a good hope. That's a glad hope. No righteous person will ever get to heaven and be like, oh, shucks, this is disappointing. Nobody. Nobody will get to the end of the trail of righteousness and be disappointed. I expected more. 
No one's going to look upon Christ and go, is that him, really? That's what I've been waiting for? Nobody's going to do that. But the wicked, when they get into their trail, they're not going to get what they expect, are they? I remember the, uh, the movie critic, Roger Ebert, he was dying. They asked him, do you fear death? He goes, I don't believe there's anything on the other side of death to fear. When he got there, boy, was he surprised. I bet he was completely enveloped in fear because he perished. The righteous will never, never be ashamed. Nothing but gladness at the end of our trail. We possess Christ himself and all the joy that comes with that. All the joy of God is ours. The knowledge of God is ours to explore forever. You understand that, right? Our God is so vast. We will spend 10 millennia in eternity and never uncover the full true riches of Christ. We'll always want more. Eternity, will, eternity is just time without end. I can't even put a number of years on it, but way down the road of eternity, we'll never. But okay, I guess I know everything you used to know about Christ now. Let me move on. We will spend eternity unraveling the riches of Christ. The wicked will perish. They'll be destroyed. There's no rest day or night. No rest day or night. All the wicked hope to gain in this world will be taken from them when they are cast into hell, won't it? Nothing goes with them. Fame, fortune, fun, excitement, and it all stays behind. That's why in 1 John 2, 15-17, we're told not to love the world, right? What's, what's the two main reasons we're told not to love the world there? There's two reasons he gives. First of all, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So John said, don't love the world. Because if you love the world, that's evidence you don't love God. But then he says, the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, by contrast, then, the one who's living for the world, what happens to him? He perishes with the world. The world's passing away, as is the person who loves the world. But those who do the will of God, they abide forever. Christian, don't love the world. If you love the world, you're evidencing the love of God is not in you. You know why? Because the love of God is not in this world. This world does not love God. If the world loves us, we're doing it wrong. Honestly. If the news stands outside our church and says, what a great church this is, we're doing it wrong. Verse 29, the way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright. It's a strong tower of protection. Listen, there's safety in walking in the law of God. You understand that? That protects us. There's safety in that. We're safe from the wrath of God. We're safe from the penalties of our sin. We're safe from the evil and harm of the outside world. We just saw it this morning with Paul as he's facing death in prison. 
Those, that was the outside world wanting to kill Paul, the Roman authorities. What was Paul's reaction? Eh, okay. Do it, don't do it. Whatever God wants. He was safe. He wasn't concerned. He wasn't in any danger at all. It goes back to what I said this morning about the three Hebrew children, right? Our God's able to deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to bow down and serve. Oh, and by the way, he will deliver us out of your hand. Whether you release us or put us in the furnace, we're free from your hand. You have no power. You have no authority. Those who dwell in Christ are safe from evil and from harm. He is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. By contrast, they're exposed to the penalty of their sin, to the wrath of God against their sin. The reward of the righteous is Christ himself. Did you get me there? The reward of the righteous is not heaven. It's not. The reward of the righteous is not crowns. We think about rewards that, that way. The reward of the righteous is Christ himself. Possessing Christ, that's our reward. Do we need anything else? When we stand in glory, I assume, I don't know, if Christ embraces us in his physical arms, and you feel those arms and those hands and you feel his face or his hair against your face. Remember, he's a real person. He's a physical person. I don't know if he hugs everyone that gets there, but if he does, that's the reward of the righteous. God himself. They'll be in my throne with me, he says. I'll dwell among them. They'll see my face. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. That's our reward. Too many Christians are doing this whole Christian life thing for other things. I always say, if you come to Christ for any other reason than Christ himself, you've come for the wrong reason. He's the reward of the righteous. We get to possess him, and he gets to possess us one day. In heaven, I mean, I'm talking about in the physical sense. Right now he possesses us, and we possess him. Think about that. Christ is our God himself is our reward. You realize in heaven we'll be able to look upon the face of God the Father? You understand that? Nobody in history has been able to do that. He dwells in unapproachable light that no man. That's why even in the Old Testament, I believe it's Jesus who's the one that appears to people and talks to people. That's why he exegeted the Father. He made the Father known, he says in John chapter 1. Or three, one of those two. Because the Father is so, he wouldn't even have contact with us. I, there, there are people out there that teach that we're not going to see God the Father in heaven. Because he dwells in unapproachable light. Let me tell you guys something. We're in Christ. If Christ can behold his face, we can behold his face. We're one with Christ. If God the Father is unapproachable to us, then he's unapproachable to the Son. Because all the rights and privileges of Christ belong to his people. Right. 
You need to remember that. God is the reward of his people. Is that enough for you, church? I hope it is. I hope it is. By the way, we have that now. Christ is our possession now. Let's make sure we're availing ourselves of that. First Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. For the face of the Lord is against them to do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? The way of the Lord is strength to the upright. It's protection. No one can harm you. Verse 30. The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. The righteous will never be removed. This is a glorious promise to believers. I think we forget. Sometimes we get muddled up on this, right? And so we say, we talk about going to heaven for eternity. You realize we're not going to heaven for eternity, right? We're going to live in the new heavens and a new earth for eternity. We're going to live on the earth forever and ever after the resurrection of the body. Heaven is not our future hope. This is our future hope. A restored earth with Christ himself as king. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're expecting to come. When the new heavens and new earth reaches its finality, the righteous will eternally abide in it. The wicked will be cast in outer darkness. Think about that. Think about that contrast. Restored paradise and outer darkness. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. We're almost done. We'll start in verses 1 through 3. We'll read, we'll read the whole thing. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I just realized something I was reading that right now. Talk about not standing in the counsel of the ungodly, the way of sinners, or the seed of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Isn't that funny? That means that those who fall in the other three categories, those wicked people, their delight is in doing wicked. We talked about that just a few minutes ago. Their delight is in doing wickedness. But blessed is the one who finds delight in the law of the Lord. Now for a contrast. In our text it says the wicked will not inhabit the earth. Look at verses 4 through 6. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So the, the blessed man here, he's like a tree firmly planted by rivers of water. What happens to a tree that's firmly planted? Nothing. The winds blow and it stays there. It doesn't fall over. It's strong. It's sturdy. The ungodly are like chaff, blown away by the wind. They'll not inherit the earth. The earth is the Lord's, according to Psalm 24, 1 and 2. His enemies will be removed from it. To Adam was given the earth, and he was commanded to fill it and take dominion. 
he failed, didn't he? Miserably. The new Adam will take dominion and will fill the earth. The children of Adam will not inherit with the children of Christ. We will inherit what the first Adam failed to give to his children. That is the earth, paradise. Go back to Proverbs 10. Verse 31. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the forward, mouth, forward tongue shall be cut out. What a vision. Like a good tree brings forth good fruit, so the mouth of the just brings forth wisdom. It's natural, right? If you're a godly person, God's wisdom should naturally flow from your mouth. You know, a tree doesn't struggle to bear fruit. Right? An apple tree doesn't stand there and go, oh, I think I can, I think I can. Apples just grow naturally. So for a righteous person, the wisdom of God should just flow from our lips. Righteousness should be the fruit of our life. It should just naturally flow. We shouldn't have to try to be righteous. We shouldn't struggle with righteousness. It should come, we should struggle with sin. Righteousness should be natural to us. The wisdom of that is from God is like fruit. By contrast, the forward tongue will be cut out. Like a bad tree that bears no fruit. John 15, 6 says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. What happened to those who were not abiding in Christ when Christ came to judge Israel? They were cut off. And a wild olive tree was grafted in in their place. They're just cut off, cast in the fire and burned. So the forward tongue will be cut out. Matthew 3.10, And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The wicked will be cut out one day. Verse 32, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh forwardness. The righteous seek to know and thus speak that which pleases the Lord. But the wicked don't care. All they can speak is perverseness. It's the fruit of their heart. The righteous seek to please the Lord. The wicked do not. This chapter has contrasted the righteous with the wicked. There should be a clear line of difference, church, in our lives from that of the unsaved world. Beware of Christians who surround themselves with nothing but unsafe friends. That's always, I've always been puzzled by that. How do you do that? When I'm around the unsaved, I get troubled in my spirit too much. I need to be around believers to feed my soul. We're so different. Beware of Christians who surround themselves. All their friends are unsaved. How does that not trouble their spirit? There should be a clear line of distinction between us and the unsaved. They shouldn't want to be our friends that closely. They should be bothered by our stand for righteousness. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm saying be righteous, and those who hate Christ and hate righteousness will not want to befriend us. If they want to be our friends, something's wrong with us, not with them. 
If that stark contrast does not exist, then is our walk with is our walk right before God? That's what we should ask ourselves. Seek each day, Christian, to live in such a way that the testimony of your life is strong and obvious. We've seen there's a, there's a stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Our lives should bear that out. If the world doesn't know we're Christians, listen to me, if the world doesn't know we're Christians, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. We should be polar opposite from those in the outside world. There should be no, I mean, everyone should know. Your job, everyone should know you're a Christian. The way you conduct business, the way you talk, your neighbor, everybody should know that you're a Christian. Not because you have a, a badge in your shirt that says, I'm a Christian. But because everything you say, everything you do, is in stark contrast to how the world does it. They should know we're Christians by the fruit of our lives. You know what? If you look out there today, anywhere, I don't care where you look, you look at the wicked, their lives bear the fruit of wickedness. They do. They can't hide it. They're wicked. They're openly wicked. It's the natural fruit of their depraved heart. Should it be different for the believer? Should we have to tell people that we're Christians? Or should it just be the fruit of our lives? That people say something different about them. They're not like us. I'm not not saying that's how we witness. Some people say, just witness by your life being different and they'll ask you about Jesus. That's not what I'm saying, and they won't. But I'm saying is our lives should tell a story. Our lives should lay out a contrast. And if we're not doing that, then we're not truly living the Christian life as we're meant to live it. I mean, people heard Jesus speak. They said, never a man spake like this. Boy, he has wisdom beyond his years. And yes, I understand he was God. But Jesus was so different than everybody else that came before him. Can his followers be any less? No. Do you know why Paul was hunting down Christians? It wasn't because all the Romans had white robes and all the Christians had purple robes and he knew who to grab. It's because their lives so magnified Christ that everybody knew they were Christians. He knew where to find them. That should be us. If they put us on trial, we should be easily convicted because our lives bear witness that we know and have seen the Son of God. Make sure, Christian, your life, my life, is a stark contrast to those around us. Or we're just not living like we ought to live. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for your word, for this great chapter. that I've enjoyed the last few weeks going through it and seeing the contrast of the righteous and the wicked. What a picture you painted for us, Lord. Oh, help us, Lord, to be different, set apart, peculiar. Help us not to take the advice of the wicked or the fool, but to seek out wisdom from godly sources. Help us, Lord, to be like that tree planted by the river of water that's firm, rooted, established. Help us not to build on the shifting sands of secularism. There's no hope for the wicked. 
Why would we throw our lot in with those who are perishing when our treasure is Christ for eternity? That should be enough for us. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you better. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.